0: guys thank you so much for listening i feel like i have to apologize every week for putting out a late episode so i'm gonna stop take a deep breath and just tell you that there isn't a definite schedule for episodes to come out so just expect them at some point in the week so i have some good news I'm graduating this week on Wednesday. I'm finally almost done with this degree, and honestly, I feel pretty burnt out. I feel like addressing this and sharing with y'all my burnt out feelings, and hopefully it might help one of y'all out. It is okay to take a break, to take a breather before going on to the next step. In the next months, I plan to work, put out episodes, enjoy time with my husband, and give myself some time to think about the next steps in my education and career. If you feel like this, it is okay to take a break. For some reason, especially in society, and especially as a woman, I feel pressure to keep going, and maybe that's the patriarchy or maybe I'm too hard on myself. Nevertheless, take time to address your stress buildup and live a little. We don't have to be accomplished in our 20s. We can do anything we want during the duration of our lives. All right, enough preaching. This week, I wanted to look into something that hasn't been solved yet. So let's get started. Michelle Von Emster was born on August 2nd, 1968 and grew up in San Carlos, California. For those who don't know where that is, because I certainly didn't, San Carlos is in the Bay Area. It is south of San Francisco and north of San Jose. She was one of the five girls growing up and graduated from the all-girls Notre Dame High School in 1986. After graduating, she went on to St. Mary's College. During this time, she was diagnosed with leukemia. She ended up in remission a year later and decided to move to San Diego because she wanted to be closer to the ocean. And she deserved it after surviving cancer. She rented a house in Loma Portal, a neighborhood overlooking San Diego Bay, and it is gorgeous. I looked at some pictures, and I will have some on the blog for you to look at, and maybe even on the Instagram. According to allthatsinteresting.com, Michelle moved closer to the beach and stayed in a shared home in Ocean Beach five minutes away. She was described as a drifter, and she often moved between many homes in the area, getting closer and closer to the beach. This part of town is beautiful and vibrant, but it was also known as "quote the war zone," known for drugs, crime, and cheap rent. At this point, Michelle didn't own a car and began working for the Cabrillo Stationery and Office Supply, and quitting her previous job at the Rumors Coffee Shop. According to SanDiegoReader.com, she had to quit her last job because she was trying to shake off her stalker. All Michelle knew about her stalker was that he drove a motorcycle. For the most part, aside from her stalker. Living in Ocean Beach sounded great. I love the ocean and I would love to have that kind of view. Michelle also loved the ocean and loved to swim and surf. Michelle was known to spend time at the beach every day and multiple people after her death came forward and said she was always at the beach and loved to swim extremely far out from shore. I feel like I would have been her friend because she also loved cats and... If you can't tell on my Instagram, I post a lot of my cats. I'm a, a little obsessed. And I can tell you, as a woman who grew up with cats and owns several cats, like I said, we would have had a lot to talk about. And some friends also described her as a party girl, others as a health nut who loved meditating on the beach. According to her friends, she also liked to skinny dip in the ocean. And that's not my cup of tea personally, but you go, Glen Coco. Lots of people described her as a free-spirited person. Michelle also had a butterfly tattoo on her right shoulder. And as we talked about, Michelle drifted around Ocean Beach for a couple of years, but she has been saving uh, money to go back home. Michelle was also seeing somebody at the time named Edwin Decker. According to SanDiegoReader.com, Edwin described April 13th and 14th, the time he spent with Michelle before he died. They have been flirting for weeks before Edwin asked Michelle to go get drinks with him at a bar called Winston's. Afterwards, they bought a 12-pack of beer and cigarettes and walked towards Edwin's apartment. On the way, the bouncer from Winston's, the bar, drove up in his car alongside Edwin and Michelle and cried about getting fired from Winston's for tearing a door off its hinges. So the bouncer asked Edwin and Michelle if he could join them, and they went to Edwin's apartment. There, the bouncer fell asleep, and Edwin and Michelle were left alone, which led them, you know, to have some time together. They stayed up until dawn on April 14th, exchanged numbers, and at 5 a.m., Michelle took a cab home. And Edwin's published stories about Michelle and her mysterious and unexplained death. He said he'd never heard from her again until he turned on the TV and watched some reports about a woman who fell victim to a shark attack. On April 14, 1994, Michelle planned to attend a Pink Floyd concert with her roommate and friend, Coco Campbell. They drove to the Jack Murphy Stadium, where they thought they had purchased tickets for. In actuality, these tickets were for another show, and they were turned away. On the way back to their home in Ocean Beach, Michelle asked Coco to drop her off at the pier six blocks from their two-bedroom home. Coco later told police she was in a strange mood and didn't want to go home yet. Around 8 p.m. that night, Michelle got out of Coco's car and walked towards the ocean. She was wearing a green trench coat and had a purse with her, and this was the last time anyone saw Michelle alive. Before we go on, I just want to describe Ocean Beach. While known for its beautiful sunsets, the San Diego beaches have dangerous cliffs. There are signs all over that warn beachgoers about the unstable rocks that have a serious risk of people falling into the jagged rocks below. And according to TalkMurder.com, someone local to the area said that people get married there and people fall to their deaths there. If you fall and survive, the currents may carry you out to sea. Sharks are also known to wade in these waters. The next morning, a couple of surfers noticed a group of seagulls standing on something in the ocean, peeking on something floating. They approached a lifeless body floating upside down a couple of hundred yards off the coast. Her eyes were open and was naked, only wearing rings and a brass bracelet. What was weird was she had her left shoulder and left leg missing. It was clear she was attacked by a shark, at first. According to the Maritime Herald, her remains were taken to the headquarters of the Coast Guard. The doctor referred to large torn pieces of her body and her missing right leg. On that Saturday afternoon, San Diego examiner Brian Blackburn confirmed the shark attack with a timeline. She was last seen at 8 p.m. and went into the water around midnight. The coroner also mentioned she wasn't in the water for too long before the two surfers found her. On April 15th, around 11 p.m., Michelle's purse was found by a local walking along the seawall. The purse was about a half mile from where Michelle's body was discovered, and the man and his girlfriend kept the purse until the following Sunday when they realized what they'd found and turned it over to police. According to SanDiegoReader.com, the purse contained Michelle's license, some Keys, a pack of cigarettes, a pay stub, and some makeup. There is also a fanny pack with $27 inside. Her last paycheck was missing and never cashed, and her clothing was never recovered by authorities. According to allthat'sinteresting.com, Blackburn's official report said Michelle suffered from a broken neck, broken ribs, a broken pelvis, and various scrapes and contusions on her face and torso. Michelle had sand in her lungs, mouth, throat, and stomach which meant she was alive when her injuries were inflicted. He then went on to say she died as a result of a great white shark, even though he had never conducted an autopsy on a shark attack victim prior to Michelle. After the great white shark attack, Blackburn went on to say she was then attacked by another group of smaller blue sharks. Michelle suffered an internal hemorrhage and then drowned. At this point of time, without her ID or anything on her, Michelle was a Jane Doe. Her butterfly tattoo was mentioned on the news. Denise Knox, owner of Cabero's, stationery and office supply in Ocean Beach with Michelle's boss. She recognized the tattoo and called the police and told them Michelle didn't show up for work on Friday and Saturday. Michelle had a butterfly tattoo on her right shoulder, remember? The coroner asked Denise to tell her more about Michelle's appearance because many prank calls came in about the body's appearance. Denise said that Michelle didn't shave her armpits or legs, and with this information she was asked to come to the morgue to ID Michelle. On April 17th, Denise confirmed the body to be Michelle's. Many were skeptical of why why she got in the water in the first place and were even more skeptical of the shark attack. The water temperature at the time of her death was 15 degrees celsius or 59 degrees fahrenheit. The tide was high and the incoming surge created three-foot waves that crashed into the shoreline. To be fair, Blackburn did contact experts at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography to learn more about other victims of shark attacks because, like I said earlier, Blackburn had no experience with conducting a shark attack autopsy. But the kicker is those experts never saw the body or any autopsy photos when Blackburn first ruled Michelle's death as a shark attack. What is even weirder is that Blackburn listed Harry Bonnell as a witness to Michelle's autopsy. In SanDiegoReader.com, Bonnell said he never witnessed the autopsy and that Blackburn was covering his behind because it was protocol in the case of homicides for there to be a witnessing pathologist. What I just said, obviously, Bonnell said it a lot nicer. In fact, according to sandiegoreader.com, a shark expert and founder of the Shark Research Committee named Ralph Collier said the shark attack was probably valid even without seeing any pictures or even the body. He went on to say Michelle's death would be the first confirmed shark bite fatality along the Pacific Coast in the United States since 1989, and I personally feel like Blackburn wanted this to be a shark attack because he, even after what I tell you next, He didn't even consider other possibilities of death. According to SanDiegoReader.com, after her autopsy report came out, news reports of her death practicing shark safety and anything shark-related flooded California. Even that early on, news reporters thought her official shark attack report was odd and wanted investigators to look more into the case. Despite the media pushback, the case was closed. Her official cause of death at this point was determined accidental, that she was drowned after being attacked by a great white shark. Law enforcement took this cause of death with stride and didn't follow up with any other directions. Case closed, right? According to ThoughtNova.com, many experts didn't think she was attacked by a shark. After actually viewing the remains, Ralph Collier... A guy I mentioned before, said he changed his mind about Michelle's cause of death. He explained that when sharks bite off a limb, the break is clean, but what remained of Michelle's leg was not a clean break. His theory of what happened to her that night was that a boat propeller repeatedly cut off the leg. If the shark bit off her leg, it would have hit her femoral artery and bled to death. Here's a quote by Collier that I found in SanDiegoReader.com. Quote, when a white shark bites part of a limb, the cut is clean. Almost like when you put a hand with a saw. What was left of Michelle's femur was anything but. It seemed like what happens when you get a piece of bamboo and it is reduced to a point with a knife. I have seen about a hundred photos of cases that I've reviewed over the years and I have never seen any bone that reached this point. He also said having sand in her stomach, lungs, throat, and mouth indicated that a shark did not bite off her leg. Her facial bruising, broken neck, ribs, and pelvis did not match the attack by a gray white shark. Collier's theory of what happened to her that night was that a boat propeller repeatedly cut off the leg, like we said earlier, and if a shark bit off her leg, they also would have found a huge broken white tooth on her body. As if we didn't need more convincing, Bonnell, the pathologist I mentioned before, said her fingertips were not wrinkled, which indicated she wasn't in the water long before she died or dead in the water long enough. At the time, Richard Rosenblatt was a chairman of the grad department in marine biology at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. He invited Blackburn to Scripps and explained that the several bites found on Michelle looked to be from blue sharks. He basically schooled Blackburn after different shark bites on bodies. I mean, he had to learn sometime, right? According to SanDiegoReader.com, accredited records keeping institutions such as the Shark Research Committee and the International Shark Attack File refused to list Michelle's case as a shark fatality. There are a lot of theories behind Michelle's death. She could have fallen off a cliff in the area, which is very likely, except her missing leg tells a different story about how she could have been hit by a propeller on a boat. Her leg contradicts that theory, basically, I feel. Other people think Michelle could have been the victim of murder. She had the weird motorcycle stalker guy that I mentioned in the beginning. Michelle's boss, Denise Knox, said somebody came into the office supply shop to make copies of Michelle's autopsy report, who strangely also drove a motorcycle. Nothing ever came of that, from what we know. I don't know why the police wouldn't look into the guy, or if they had any security tapes from the store they could look at, or something at the very least. Like, come on, do your job. She also lived in a neighborhood full of crime, and even though there are reports of her enjoying a swim, skinny dipping, some people believe that being found naked was weird, especially with her clothes never being recovered. Her bag was found in a weird spot, and it took someone walking around to see it for 24 hours. Someone could have planted the bag and took off, making it look like an accident. Remember Edwin from earlier? He was looked at as a suspect for a brief second because he was the last romantic partner Michelle had before she died, which is pretty standard, honestly. He had written a poem called Shark Attack, which I admit is a little too weird for me to read on the podcast, but I will include it on the blog. He said he was bummed when she never called and torn when he found out she died after watching the news on the TV. The news reported on her tattoo and he said he knew it was her, but never contacted police because he thought the family was keeping her identity a secret. He also worked as a bartender next to the coffee shop she used to work at, so some people thought he could have been the stalker, which is very valid. I think, maybe, I don't know. I sort of believe Edwin is innocent, especially when he teamed up with an investigator in 2008 and wrote to the San Diego Medical Examiner to reevaluate Michelle's case. This wouldn't be the first time a murderer would team up with police and join the investigation, but I sincerely don't think Edwin is one of those guys? Question mark? From what we know, Blackburn never relented on Michelle's cause of death. Blackburn eventually retired to North Carolina and died in October 2012, so we can't even talk to him about his reasoning. I don't want to speak ill of the dead but I don't think this man did his job in this case. And the last time anyone did any real digging about Michelle's case was when Dave Good published his article under San Diego Reader in 2014, which is the article that I was mentioning this whole episode, and that's where I found the best information. So if you want to read that article, I will have linked it in the show notes and the blog. It is a very amazing read. Let me know how you feel about this case, but if you think a great white shark could have done this, your opinion is wrong. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening to Crime Cloud. If you would like to access my Instagram, go to at Crime Cloud Podcast. And for my Twitter, go to at Crime Cloud Pod. To find the blog, go to CrimeCloudPodcast.blog. To email suggestions or corrections, use CrimeCloudPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and supporting the podcast.